Well, with realignment, discussions, and speculation, and so much more abound, what's the state of Washington football right now? One of the biggest remaining brands in the Pac-12. Let's go. Locked on Pac-12, your daily podcast on the Pac-12 Conference. It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Locked On Pack 12. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with our beloved Conference of Champions. Like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show. And shout out to everybody who has done so already. And shout out to a first time guest here on Locked On Pack 12. Roman Tomashoff covers the Washington Huskies for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated. A couple of you have been asking for a while for me to find a Washington person. Well, here he is. I got him. He's in the building. Won't be the last time he comes here on the show. Roman, it's great to talk to you, man. Great to have you here on Locked On Pack 12 Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's do it. Let's do it indeed. So I want to start on the realignment front and get kind of a Washington fans and someone who covers the team perspective of what the Huskies are, are kind of thinking in in that particular space. There have been a lot of talks. There's a lot of speculation, rumors about, you know, they're going to go to this conference or they'll do this. They won't stay in the pack. They won't do that. How does Washington kind of view realignment right now? So just from people that I've talked to, from the, just from all the information I've been able to gather from, what, what, what are we going on here? Month eight, month nine of just this, this July is month seven to two, five, seven, yeah, somewhere, month somewhere, seven or so. Somewhere in, in, in that range. And everyone has just had just different things that they've been hearing every week, every month. There's something new. And has anything really changed on the public front? No, not really. And behind the scenes, it feels like the end of the, the day goal is still the Big Ten. That still feels like what the the main goal is after USC and UCLA left. And from a couple people that I talked to way back in the summer when, you know, there were rumors flying around every single day, it was, oh, this the Big Ten thing is coming. This is what everybody wants. But the big issue here is a lot of the current uh, Big Ten uh, ADs and presidents don't want to split the revenue pot that they have any further. And so that's what a lot of it apparently came down to in the summer when there were rumors to Oregon and Washington, the, the whole Notre Dame thing, when there were rumors of extra schools being added to the Big Ten again after the USC-UCLA announcement. So what we can say that we've gathered from the last couple of weeks is the Big 12 is obviously making a strong push at some schools. While it feels like Oregon and Washington would be their two primary targets, Utah and Colorado obviously have a very strong case especially with the, the demographic region, um, just where they are, that, that would make scheduling a little bit easier for some of those schools if that were to happen. So there's, there's really a whole lot going on, and there's a whole lot up in the air here. But the biggest issue where it kind of feels like if it were, are they going to stay, are they going to leave on a Washington front, is the fact that there's still no media deal and the fact that one doesn't seem to be imminent. There aren't a lot of bidders. It just looks like there's so many. And it's I the, the, the thing is, I don't know how much you can really blame George Klievkov, the new Pac-12 commissioner, for all of this, when he was just really just dealt the worst hand. It's like you're just sitting down at a poker table and you're just you immediately just get a two to seven. You're just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm already basically done here. Um, so there's 
it's like you have to think about that in all of this when you want to just kind of blame George Klyevkov for what's going on and just say, yeah, there's obviously a little bit more he probably could have done, and you, you can say that about anything really at this point. But when you just kind of look at just the grand scheme of will Washington stay, will Washington leave, it does feel like right now they want to leave, but the question is just who's going to take them, who's going to give them the most money, because I feel like at the end of the day, what's going to end up being king is revenue. Yeah, and it it is. I think there are a lot of other factors in play more than a lot of people who come on this particular channel and watch the show, which I thank you for on some level. But more than a lot of people realize, it's not just an athletics thing. That's a that's a big component because athletics yes. are such an identifiable characteristic for a university. But the Big Ten would not have added USC and UCLA if their presidents, if their athletic directors, chancellors, whoever didn't feel that they were a cultural and academic fit, which they absolutely are. Because for a long time, the top academic programs in the pack have been Stanford and Cal at the top, USC and UCLA kind of next tier. Washington is there. Then there's frankly kind of a drop off from there. I think Utah is or Colorado is probably up there. Colorado does a a bunch of research on, on that front. But I, I also take issue with the assumption that, you know, Washington and Oregon could just go to the Big Ten if they wanted to. Like, from a football standpoint, sure, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But there's no automatic guarantee that the Big Ten would actually want them. And then if you look at the Big 12, I don't know if Washington, because of where they are as an academic institution, would want to align themselves themselves with, 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 with the Big 12. Is that how you see it too? That's definitely something that I play in there, um, into that just that general discussion. One thing that I've kind of seen a lot of um, when it comes to academics is Washington considers themselves on that same Stanford Cal tier. And I really don't think that they're that far off from that when you just kind of look at no they're they're, they're like they're like a half it. they're like a half or a step below but they're a lot closer right. than everybody else in the pack like stanford oh, and Cal set a really high bar but washington is right there oh absolutely they're, they are as as good as it gets on the academic front so i feel like that is something where you do have to, to think about what the big 12 would want and you're right if they're they're not they i don't think that not like a holier than thou kind of stance but it's just kind of like no the the way Washington's academics work, it you're correct. It doesn't align at all. So that's kind of another reason why we can just say the Big Ten seems to be the end-of-the-day goal. And one thing that I've just sort of wondered, um, come some of these realignment things, is if the Big Ten is – and obviously I, I'm, I'm aware that there are much bigger uh, factors at stake here – but if the Big Ten is so committed to the – um, to the, the success in the athletics range, why not kind of go through and reevaluate some of these schools like a Minnesota, a Maryland, where a little bit Rutgers. less Rutgers, exactly. Indiana. Yeah, so there, there are other ways to go about it where you don't have to necessarily lose revenue, but you can kind of shift and just say, hey, with the teams that we're taking on, we have to get rid of somebody. Obviously, it feels like the, the end of the goal. The end of the day goal is just two mega conferences, and it's probably going to end up that way at some point soon. So we're just all just going to end up sitting and waiting for for those days. It could be. I don't know. I don't know about. It depends on what you what you refer to as soon. I feel like that could be a couple decades away. I like, feel like it might be the next five to ten years. Really. That that would just requ- it would require so much collaboration 
from conferences that for all intents purposes have been rivals sort of. And I think this latest round of realignment has kind of amplified that, that the PAC 12 is feeling like they have to keep pace with the big 12. That's trying to keep pace with the ACC. That's trying to keep pace with the big 10 and the, like that, that those sorts of dominoes just seem to always kind of line up and for, for you to have two mega conferences. I'm not saying that's impossible. I don't think sure. it is. I think it would have to be, I don't think it would happen in this moment in this a particular climate. We'll touch more on that after we touch just a bit on FanDuel, who are our new sports betting sponsor here at Locked On. The midway point of the NBA season is here. The Super Bowl has passed, which means it's time to turn over to basketball, and you need to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000, that's bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win, you should go download download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment make every moment more. Nice alliteration there with FanDuel, <laughs> official sportsbook partner of the NBA. And here at Locked On, of course. So we continue with Roman Tomashoff of Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated covering the Washington Huskies. And I want to bring it back to the, the dogs for just a moment. If they can't get into the Big Ten. Are you at all concerned about what the future of the Pac-12 looks like and Washington being able to compete and get back to the college football playoff, which certainly will be easier in in a 12-team format, of course, but I think we all agree rarely can a team outside the top four, at least right now, realistically contend for a national championship. So as you look at Washington's future and say they want to get back to – or they want to get to – a national championship sort of level. Are you concerned whether or not they could do that in the pack? Uh, yes and no. From the, the standpoint of the 12 team playoff that you talked about, I feel like in that standpoint, the answer is going to be no. Just with what Kalen DeBoer proved he can do with talent and just kind of what his system looks like, I think that they can compete with anybody. Especially if we're, if we're going to look at the immediate future, we're going to look at 2023. Uh, if the schedule is going to be a lot tougher than it was this past year. It's infinitely tougher, but I think that they're going to be in very good position to make a run at the college football playoff because if, let's just say, they walk out of the, the regular season 11-1 and one, and they have a berth in, in the Pac-12 title game, that I think that just like they did in 2016, they're going to have a legitimate shot. They probably play USC or Utah again or maybe even in Oregon since it is just the top two overall teams now. Um, but I, I'm not necessarily worried about that because it seems like towards the end of the year, as this program continued building, uh, they got the national respect that they deserved fo- finally following the Alamo Bowl. It took a while to get there, but it seems like people were finally starting to notice the Huskies. And that's something where I lived on the East Coast in 2016 and I watched every game, did, did all that uh, just to the nth degree. And no matter how much you would talk about the Huskies, like just anywhere on the East coast, it was just kind of oblivious and no one really just kind of wanted to give the Pac-12 any respect where, well, cause they're, cause they're not, they're not on TV for those people over there. Right. Like right. people out, I mean, people out West are familiar with big 10 brands with sec brands, but out East and part of it is just a time zone factor, but part of it is also the TV deal and the number of late games, not just their, their mere existence. 
that that is the downside of it is you don't have the sort of reach that other conferences do. Right. No, that's and that definitely plays a huge factor in it. So hopefully just kind of as UW moves forward, we'll see a couple bit more of these nationally televised games in earlier windows. The Oregon game is going to get that. The USC game, assuming everything is still well and good with both teams by that point in the season, is going to get that. Utah, they're the schedule that the Huskies have, especially the way that it lines up kind of going into October and November, is going to be a lot of games that should be slated for primetime matchups. And if they haven't, they, they don't have one of those slip-ups like they did against UCLA and Arizona State in 2022, they're going to continue to get that respect and they're going to get continue to get those primetime slots because they deserve it. And if, you know, the Big Ten or whoever else is supposed to be competing for a similar time slot doesn't have a game that fits that bill, you're going to have to default to the Pac-12 again over and over. So why not just – I sorry, I'm, I'm getting off track. I'm, getting, I'm, I, 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 I'm, talking about, I'm talking about more TV stuff when, you know, that's just a whole different discussion. You'd be but, crazy to say that we don't talk about TV stuff and time <laughs> slots here on Locked on Pac-12. Oh, man, it's – it's, uh, it's wild. But, but, but so you're, I think you're touching on a really interesting point here as it pertains to the, the question I posed to you about kind of the, the future. I, I, Pac-12 After Dark, if they have a cable partner, is not going to go away. Like that's right. because that's actually something they can bring. Nobody else can. But what needs to be adjusted going forward for teams like Washington, but other schools as well, is the number of times that teams are playing in the later windows or are not being seen by an audience outside of the West coast because of either being on PAC 12 network, which not, not as many people have or being played way, way later in the day or even at night. That's what needs to change. Like for example, in 2022, Oregon state played USC on PAC 12 network, which is just, which is a crime against humanity. Like that was just, absolutely terrible and it sucks for the beefs a program that struggles to get national recognition in the first place they had an opportunity they played great they should have had the upset and whatnot and that was being hidden from the rest of the college football world on pac 12 network and it was being played super late at night contrast that to a game they played later in the year in the middle of the day on espn2 in that window where you usually have a big 12 or a big 10 or an acc game Oregon State was playing Arizona State. And I look at that and say, that's what the conference needs more of for any team, whether it's Washington, Oregon State. I don't think Oregon has that problem quite as much. In the no, TV USC viewership. doesn't either. Right, and USC doesn't either. And of course, they'll be gone after this year anyway. But I look at the other programs that are good in the league right now and say, well, it kind of seems like you need to do a better job as a, as a conference getting them into windows and time slots that allow them to be viewed more going forward. And I think, especially in this round of realignment, losing the LA market for, for the PAC 12, not entirely of course, but primarily with USC and, and, and UCLA, and, and we'll see who they end up adding in, in realignment and such that needs to be a, a very real priority to try and figure out how you can get those games. And that's where I think Amazon is interesting because you could put them on Amazon, a lot of people have that now. A lot of people don't, for sure. And we'll see how the numbers could work out. But I just think you need to have them in time windows that allow people to watch more often. No, you're right. And that's that's really what it comes down to at the end of the day. Because if people are, even if they just have it on in the background, that helps. 
Yes. And that's that's the one thing that, you know, the Pac-12 After Dark can provide on the East Coast is, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm at a bar just trying to have a drink, and oh, there's a football game on. I'm going to watch this because I'm here. And having some of those are great, and it's going to continue to just kind of keep the big names in just fans' minds all around the country if they want something to watch at that, that point in the day. But at the same time, they need to continue to work themselves into the four o'clock slots and the occasional one o'clock. I, 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 I it's weird. The whole 1230, one o'clock thing. Yeah. <sighs> that's, it, that's, that's, that's a whole different discussion. Right. But, and, and, and by the way, Washington is specifically poised to play in that time slot. My mom went to UW and has for years and years lamented about the nighttime kickoffs because you take away what makes Husky Stadium so special. And that's that it's right on the freaking water. That's what makes it so cool. Like like the Michigan State game, for instance, was perfect because it was played during the day. But then as conference play came around, they were playing a lot of games, sometimes notable ones, really other than the Oregon game, they were playing them all very late at night. And as a result, Michael Penix didn't get the Heisman attention that he probably deserved. Washington flew under the radar. They won't do that again this year, but all, all that stuff uh, sort of adds up. But I want to bring it uh, back to the, the program specifically here and, and, and away from the, the conference realignment front for just a moment, because all of this is to say that you need a product to put out there people would want to watch or that fans are interested in and that alumni want to and all that sort of stuff. And Kalen DeBoer appears very capable of delivering that for the Huskies. At least that's what year one has indicated. So with everybody coming back and DeBoer there and keeping Ryan Grubb, who was interviewing for the Bama job, but I think wisely decided to stay with Washington, what's kind of the mood on that front around this specific team going into 2023? There is so much excitement around this team, man. It's going to be so much fun to watch. You can just kind of, so just kind of a little bit in my backstory. The first year that I covered the team in person was 2021. Obviously a very different season. There was no energy at all. And you can just kind of feel that from the end of the Montana game through the rest of the season and even kind of a little bit into, um, I don't know why it's escaped. Oh, Kent State, uh, the the first game of 2022. Even the first little bit of that, you're just kind of like, all right, this is, you know, the the vibes here are a little weird and you don't kind of know what's going on. And then as the uh, Portland State game hit and then obviously Michigan State was, was the eruption of it all. But you could just kind of feel the culture shifting. You could just kind of feel those little things in motion that as you talk to more players about it, as the season just kind of plays, plays out and you just kind of see more and more every single week, it's the Kalen DeBoer effect. He knows what it takes to run a successful team and just create the atmosphere that every coach on the recruiting trail talks about, that family atmosphere. Like everywhere when a kid comes to school, it's oh, they provided that family atmosphere. And I feel like there are some programs that do that really well. And Washington through this past year has asserted this, uh, themselves as one of the best at that because you see it just in the way the players interact with each other. The way they're interacting with the media was different. And just every little thing they did just kind of seemed to trickle down from the top. And Kalen DeBoer has done such an amazing job getting this program right that I feel that every year that he is at UW, they're going to have a chance to, at the very least, compete for a Pac-12 title. He It's, it's year one, and it feels a little bit crazy to say that, but just the way that he has impacted 
every single person in that building just seems to feel like that's the case. And you can make that statement even after just one year. And it was such a quick and dramatic turnaround. It wasn't just quick, but also the size of four to 11. Yes. And he didn't, and he didn't do that at USC. And I think the impressive thing too, you know, whereas USC brought in a bunch of transfers, reshaped their roster. Yeah. Yeah. Both teams did bring in a quarterback that was a significant upgrade, but Caleb Williams, his reputation coming in was vastly different than that of Michael Penix when, you know, he'd spent four injury riddled years at Indiana and had one good one with the board, but it just was never, you know, he, he was not a super highly sought after transfer. He was a guy that DeBoer seems to have sought out because of their relationship yes. and the year they, they'd had together at, at Indiana. That's of course much different than, than Caleb Williams. And it's not like, Washington is, you know, a, a, a Wazoo even or a Colorado or an Arizona where they, they can't attract good players. But it wasn't a USC massive one-year overhaul, which is why DeBoer deserves so much credit for the job that he did this year because it, it was as much a cultural shift like you talked about as it was a personnel and, and schematic shift, which which has to be there, right? All, all of that has to be there, but it does feel and, – and I feel like just – the way that he pitched the program on social media, the way he talked about it, the way he, you know, kind of goes about his job, he is about more than just the results on the field. And not every coach is like that, by the way. A lot of them are, but like Chip Kelly at UCLA, he just wants to show up and coach football. That 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 is what he cares about more than anything else. And I, I think that DeBoer is doing a really, really nice job on that front of understanding everything that goes into making a college football program successful. No, absolutely. You hit the nail on the head there. And then one thing that I feel like kind of gets overlooked a little bit because you're right. It wasn't this massive overhaul at Washington. It's all the same talent that Jimmy Lake to some extent and mainly Chris Peterson recruited because the 2019 and 2020 recruiting classes were the two best recruiting classes that Chris Peterson ever put together. A lot of those guys are the upperclassmen now. They are the leaders on this squad. Where outside of Penix, there wasn't a lot of turnover, especially on the offensive side. It was basically all the same guys that were already on the roster, already familiar with everything. They were just actually utilized to the best of their abilities. And I think that that really is what Caitlin DeBoer's greatest strength is on the field. Because off the field, we, talk, we, we, we just talk about that. But on the field... He is an excellent just tactician, strategist, whatever you want to say, because he just came in and a system that not even just under Jimmy Lake, but under Chris Peterson as well, was very stagnant on offense. Outside of the 2016 year, Washington's offense had really not been good. Say what you will about Jake Browning and Miles Gaskin. They were awesome players and a whole lot for the team, especially Miles Gaskin. But the offense just as a whole was not incredibly productive. And Kalen DeBoer came in just just amped everything up to 11. He truly did. And that started on the offensive side of the football with the scheme that he was running, with just the way everything he implemented was actually what you wanted to see in a modern offense, which is something a lot of UW fans have been clamoring for for a long time. So I just think it was it was really awesome to watch him take all the talent that had already been there and just kind of unlock the true potential of the roster, which is something that fans had also been waiting for for a very long time. Yeah, and it felt like Penix was certainly a key piece of that, but he was not the only piece, right? Correct. Like it even felt 
you know, in, in just a couple snaps that we saw Dylan Morris in, in 2022, it even felt like he was a little bit better than than what he had showed under the, the, the previous regime offensively. And that's a hard thing to do, but you see all the really good coaches doing it. Lincoln Riley did this, of course, at, at USC, but you can go really uh, across the board. Good coaches are able to come in and establish their identity really quickly. And I yes. think I think DeBoer did it at Washington even quicker than uh, a lot of people, myself included, expected him to be able to. But now as you look to the future, you say, well, if that's what he did in year one, now if you can really get the recruiting going, then you can be in a, a really good position. And I want to I want to close with that, Roman. Washington's recruiting potential, I think, is probably top, top 15. I don't know if they could get into the top 10, maybe maybe potentially one year, but it feels like the, the ceiling there is still very good. Top 15, 20 is, is certainly within reach for them and has been in in the past before. Yes. Not sure if you know off the top of your head what, what their highest ranked recruiting class ever is, but I think it's in like 15, it's, I, I, it's, it's 15 or 16. It, it yeah. changes every so often. Which is yeah, really yeah, it, exactly. <laughs> but like it, it's it's in that sort of range. Yeah. So the on-field results, recruiting, they, they feed off one another a lot. How do you assess Kalen DeBoer year one as a recruiter with a full cycle under his belt after after that 2022 season? So the 2023 cycle, when we look back on it in a couple of years, numbers-wise, it's not going to look super impressive. It's, what, 29 right now. But what he did with this class was truly amazing, and a lot of it speaks to his talent valuation because there, there are a couple of ways that we can look at this, right? The first thing that he did, when he got to campus, one of his very first hires was Courtney Morgan from Michigan to be the director of player personnel. And Courtney Morgan has just come in and absolutely killed it. He's knocked it out of the park on every front. And the one thing that he's done that really UW hasn't explored in the past, and I believe that Kalen DeBoer just kind of being a South Dakota guy and just kind of his connections too have opened it up a little bit further, but they have gone out of their way to develop relationships with the top players in the country. Like, for example, um, Anthony James. Let's take a look at Anthony James, who, at the time of his commitment, he's dropped a lot since then, which is, um, I mean, I, I kind of understand the evaluation where he's a little bit of a tweener. Will he play edge? Will he play defensive tackle? Um, but at the time of his commitment, he was a top 50 overall prospect from Texas. He had committed to Texas A&M. And taking a lot of visits nationally was just one of the better names on the recruiting cycle at the time. And Kalen DeBoer and Courtney Morgan went out and established that relationship with him and were able to get him to UW. And getting that, the end runs into Texas that Chris Peterson never really made because at the time of his commitment, James was the highest ranked player uh, ever, I believe, to have committed to Washington from the state. And just kind of continuing to open those doors in the Midwest, we saw Lincoln Kineholz. And um, the one thing that really stood out, because Kineholz was the point I wanted to get to, where at the time of his commitment, he was a mid-range three-star prospect. And, you know, say what you will about recruiting rankings, with once Ohio State being interested, his numbers continued to shoot up. He was eventually ranked a four-star in the top 247, whatever. Um, every quarterback that UW recruited, especially very early on, they all ended up becoming four-star prospects. Where the two guys I want to point to is Lincoln Kineholz, who eventually signed with Ohio State, uh, and Aiden Chilis, who signed with, um, I believe it's Chilis, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, who signed with Oregon State. Both of those guys were 
recruited very early on in the process by UW. And I think that what they spotted in those players and just kind of the talent, the talent evaluation that they were able to give on the quarterbacks and just kind of where those guys ended up just kind of speaks volumes to what they're doing on the recruiting front. Another guy that we can look at from the class of 2023 is Curly Reed. Curly Reed is a four-star from Louisiana. Great name, by the way. Great, uh, great name. Amazing name. Amazing. He's he's not even the best defensive uh, defensive back name to have in the class because I think Diesel Gordon takes the cake there. Just another fantastic name. Oh, gosh, that's good. (laughs) Um, I I think that is, is, as someone who does a good amount of play-by-play, that is like every announcer's dream when going through a starting 11 of football. Diesel Gordon and Curly Reed, the DBs. That's just electric. <laughs> get a big hit. Oh my god! A whole other tangent. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but getting a guy like Curly Reed to commit to Washington, where it was kind of last minute, where a couple days before um, that visit weekend was finalized, it was oh Curly Reed's coming up too. Where that that was one of the names where even a lot of local guys who follow recruiting very closely were just kind of like they they don't have a shot here, do they? They and they get the commitment. It's insane. And now we kind of look at what has been going on in the class of 2024 so far. It's a little light, um, just numbers-wise, with only three commitments, two of them being quarterbacks. But look at Austin Mack. Austin Mack is a top 50 overall player from California, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. EJ Kamenong from here in, in Seattle is another elite quarterback. He's he's only rated as a three-star right now, but that kid can play, man. Turn on the tape. Um and there are a whole lot of other guys up and down the West Coast. They're getting an official visit from David Stone. David Stone is the best defensive lineman in the class of 2024. He's from Oklahoma. He plays at IMG. And they're getting an official from that kid. That's something that even two years ago, when Jimmy Lake took over, who was supposed to be this amazing recruiter from all his time with the defensive backs, that's something uh, Jimmy Lake never did. David Stone is giving them an official. Aaron Butler, one of the best receivers in the country, Calabasas, is giving them an official. They're, they were getting all kinds of guys over the last couple weekends, um, last couple of junior day weekends that they had. They were just littered with the top names in the country where in just, just really throughout UW's history up to this point has just been West Coast guys, West Coast guys, where getting a guy from Hawaii was always a home run. That was... Like the big four stars from Hawaii and California were the big gets. But now when they can say that they're getting an official from David Stone, just, yeah, there's a lot of work to do there. And hat on the table is not necessarily always a good enough answer for UW fans. But getting a hat on the table with David Stone at this point is impressive. And it just kind of shows to the relationships that they can build once they get these kids on campus. Elijah Rushing, a five-star kid from Arizona. If they can lock up that kid, that edge rusher, that – because it seems like there's a legitimate shot there. Another just insane win. And then you turn to all the kids in state, Jason Brown, uh, I'd say Marquand McCrary, uh, Rayshon Clark. There are so many good names. And that all started with them turning around Caleb Presley, getting the flip from Caleb Presley on signing day was one of the best things that could have happened to this program. It, It just, it reminds you a lot of when Buda Baker did the same exact thing in 2014, getting the top player in the state, to flip is just a huge win. They lost out on Josh Connolly last year. And I feel like a lot of that probably just had to do with um, just the way the offensive line looked in 2021. And you can't fault him for choosing what he did at that point in time. So recruiting has come a very long way. And they're, and like you said, with the ceiling of maybe top 12 to 15 um, 
I think they could get into that 9, 10, 11 range. That feels like the absolute ceiling, depending on some of the in-state guys, just depending on what happens there. But this class is going to just live or die on what happens in the state of Washington. If they can keep four or five of these high-rated four-star guys in the state, they're going to build an elite class in 2024. Yeah, I I think it's a fascinating case study of which came first, the chicken or the egg, the recruiting or the on-field results. Right. Like, is this is this the best recruiting Kalen DeBoer can do? The answer is probably not, but you just had a really successful season, but that, as we pointed out, flew under the radar a little bit. So if Washington wins a conference championship for the first time since 2018 in you know year two or year three with Kalen DeBoer, does that kind of give you a, a boost on that front? It's all fascinating stuff to follow, which we will continue to do. Of course, Roman Tomashoff covers Washington for Fan Nation at Sports Illustrated and just made his first of what will be a recurring theme here on the show. That, be, that being him appearing on the show. Roman, great to meet you, man. Spencer, thank you so much for having me on, man. This has been great. You are more than welcome. Appreciate all of you listening. See you next time. Hope you all have a wonderful rest of your day.